Welcome to Tether, where we have conversations connecting faith and culture. I'm Bill Falk, one of your hosts, here along with Danielle in Sunshine. And I got a question for everyone today, all of our listeners. What would you do with $2.50 a day? If that's all you had, what would you what would you spend it on? Just $2.50. Today, we're going to talk about a global crisis that crosses all races, genders, ages, and cultures. Matter of fact, we've all at least seen the impact of this crisis. We've known somebody impacted by it, or we have maybe even personally been impacted by it. You don't have to go very far to see it. It's all around us. And no, it's not COVID. It's poverty. And did you know that half the world actually lives on $2.50 a day? How can we possibly eliminate poverty? Is it possible to do that? How could we do it? We're all, our guest today would say we need to attack it. We are very honored to have on the show today, Brandon Baca, CEO of the global organization Attack Poverty, and God is using them in a huge way around the world. And I think if Jesus had a Twitter account or maybe an Instagram account, he'd probably be sending some, some tweets or some, some snap or Instagram you know, photos over at Attack Poverty and what they're doing over there. So we are very excited and honored to have Brandon with us. He's going to share with us a little bit of his story, what God is doing through Attack Poverty. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of the show to hear how you can be involved with Attack Poverty and then hear about the annual event that they have coming up very soon. So Brandon, welcome to Tethered. Thanks so much. I, I need you to follow me around and give this introduction. If Jesus, I love it. It's really an honor to be here with you and and just to have the conversation about poverty and about brokenness and um, our role in yeah. in actively pursuing shalom in the world around us. So I like that thanks so too. much for the opportunity yeah. to be on Tethered. Yeah, yeah. we're yeah. so love excited it. you're here. So uh, let, well, let's go ahead and, uh, and get started with, uh, you know, we love stories, you know, love hearing stories. We think stories you know, really impact, shape culture. So just love to hear about just your story, you know, kind of how you... Did you kind of grow up always thinking that this is your path? You're going to be involved in ministry or attack poverty? I mean, was there kind of a moment in your life where things kind of shifted? I mean, just kind of share with us a little bit of, of your story and how you kind of got involved in attack poverty. That's a great question. So if I start talking and I get like a little twang <laughs> in my voice, my wife always says, when you start talking about growing up, you have a it comes twang back. in your voice. What happens? Um, so I, I actually grew up in Fort Bend County in Texas. I was born in a hospital in Sharpstown, Memorial Hermann Hospital, and uh, lived in Missouri City in a small community uh, neighborhood called Hunter's Glen right across from City Hall in Missouri City. Um, lived there for a little while and then ended up moving out uh, a little further out to the suburb in Richmond and went to Kentner High School, graduated, go Cougs. <laughs> and uh, then um, by God's design, um, went to Houston Baptist University. So uh, for those of you listening, if you have children who are struggling in school, just know they're going to be okay. Yeah, like <laughs> great hope. So uh, I needed that today. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but truly uh, grew up going to a church called uh, First Baptist Rosenberg. And it was at that church that my youth minister really believed in me and, and really, he actually spoke into me one day. I was 13. I actually remember the conversation. He said, you're going to do ministry one day. And I said, ah, you're right. Yeah. Um, cause I see, I see you. 
but he was an awesome his jeff klutz he was just an awesome guy that i think um it's important to, to know this part of the story because um, we need to have vision for others sometimes. And I like we that. need to really speak yes. into people's lives and say, you can, you got yes. this. Even um, at 13. Even at 13. Even at 13. Yeah. yeah. And so I, um, I didn't think that would be the pathway for me. I really thought I was going to do the typical Texas, you know, go one of the Texas schools like A&M or UT. I picked A&M growing up in this area and uh, I thought I was going to be a lawyer or engineer. My mom, I think, thought I would be a lawyer because I was arguing with her all the time. And, <laughs> um, I was good at math, so I thought maybe an engineer. I don't know. And so I just thought, let's just do this thing because that's what you do. You go to school. But it really came down to not really recognizing what a calling really looked like in my life. And I, I remember I was a senior in high school, and it was a really critical moment. And I was at a youth camp. And... God really impressed on me that I I do need to follow his leadership and say, you're called to serve in some capacity vocationally um, with me. Wow. And I was like, well, I was really scared of that. Yeah. And this verse out of Isaiah says, fear not, do not be afraid um, for I'm with you. Um, and I was like, okay, God, you're with me. You're going to hold me up by your righteous right hand. I don't know what that means, but let's go. And so in all the fear, I just thought that's what I'm supposed to do. So I, I didn't know what that pathway meant, what that was going to look like. And long story short, a guy in our um, church found out that I was pursuing this pathway. And our pastor came up to me and said, if you could go to HBU, Houston Baptist University, would you go? And I laughed at him. <laughs> yeah, I would, but who can afford that? You know, um, a private Christian school at the time for me seemed so out of reach. And he said, well, I've got someone who believes in you is going to pay for it. And what oh, I didn't wow. know was that person was one of the founding trustees of the school. And uh, he passed away while I was in school. And it was just an honor to, wow. to, for him and others to really invest in me. Um, and it was in in college where I really, really began to discover my faith and mm. um, really step out uh, as an individual who's following and trusting Jesus. It was my parents and my family's faith all along. And now it's mine. That's kind of how I got started in this work with someone who believed in me and who really said, I think you're kind of called into this. So real quick, um, someone doing that, taking, investing in you in that way, how did that impact you? You know, I mean, you're, you're obviously kind of since this, this call already, but what, what did that do for you that, yeah. that someone did that? I mean, you know, as you continue to walk through your journey through college and everything, how, how did that, how did that shape you? I think even to this day, I, I probably could get a little emotional talking about that, but there's so many moments in our lives where we, we don't know if we have what it takes mm. um, inside, you know, you kind of muster this will to, to do things, to, to press on, to move forward. And, and if you're like me, you grew up in church where if you didn't seem to have it all together, if you couldn't say the right answers or raise your hand fast enough in Sunday school class, then, then, then maybe there was something wrong. And when someone can come alongside you and say, you, you can do this. You were made for more. Right. Uh, you, you, God has a calling on your life. I see this gift in you. I see something maybe that you don't see for yourself. It, produces a confidence, I think, in you that 
you can't find that on your own. Right. I, I think that's true discipleship right there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's true discipleship. That's beautiful. Yeah. I have a, I had a saying, um, I still kind of have a saying, but, um, the greatest assets to invest in with the greatest returns are people. Yeah. You know, invested in people. And so the other thing it did for me was it, it helped me see a way I can be that way for others. Yeah. Because when you experience something, then you're going to kind of overflow with that. So, man, someone believed in me. I can believe in someone else. I, I want, I want to speak that kind of life into somebody else. And mm-hmm. so I found that I, even in college, I was leading small groups and, and doing different things, just really trying to find ways. How do I participate, use my gifts, talents and abilities in a way that's pleasing to God and, and associated with some sense of calling. I was still kind of figuring all of that out. Um, so uh, yeah, that's what I would say to that. I mean, you know, it gives you some personal confidence, but I think it also opens you up to see others. Yeah. 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 yeah it's transformative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, uh, so then you go through college and then kind of where did you, where did you go from there? So out of college, I worked at the university. So I went my wife there. Uh, we've been married, uh, this year's 21 years. We have three children. Um, so that, that in itself was a, is a fun journey. Yeah, um, congrats maybe I'll on come that. back That's and awesome. tell you how we met in our first date feeding a pig, but we'll just <laughs> teaser. But so we got married there. We both worked at the university, um, right after college. I think we just knew that there was more there and there was a church that, um, invited me to be on staff. So I was a youth pastor, a middle school youth pastor for several years, um, back in sugar land. And, um, after, after that one year on staff at HBU worked at churches for several years, a couple different churches in the area and one church we didn't we hadn't done much mission activity outside the US or taken many trips but there was some stirring that hey we should probably do this and so we organized a trip to Matamoros and we helped build a house for a pastor who was serving across the bay and um it was really awesome we built him a house and it, he put this refrigerator in the house and there was this freezer and it was just full of fish and we're like what's this he goes that's how the people that I ministered to pay me he's talking mm. about a wake-up call like yeah. this is like the real deal holy field you know you're like that's how you get paid brother like i'm painting this house with every bit of energy <laughs> yeah. i got man i love you bro you know so we did that and um came back and it was just really neat how that ignited something in me i think at that moment and so as being one of the pastors on staff of this church we were trying to f- continue to figure out how do we mobilize people locally and how do we mobilize people internationally? And so we, we, we did a trip with Living Water. And on this trip, uh, we were in the middle of El Salvador. We were working hard to get a water well in the middle of the schoolyard because um, one of the parents had lost their children in a running waterway, which was mm. like a ditch, trying to get water. And the child was small, fell in and, and was swept away and drowned. And, and so at that time, Living Water said, where should we put the well? And she said, if you could put it at the school, that then no other family would have to experience mm. what I experienced. The kids would be free to access safe water. So we're like, we're going to put yeah. the well here if it's the last thing we do. And we tried. We had to actually had to move the, the site several times all around the schoolyard because we couldn't quite get through this rock barrier. And finally, on the last day, it was kind of like this miracle moment and water shooting out. It's in the middle of the night. And so we come back the next day and we're 
driving in with our van. They wanted us to come actually drive into the schoolyard instead of walk into the schoolyard, which we, that's what we were doing. We drove in and as we drove in, they were cutting branches of the trees and they were falling in front of our van because they needed to cut us so our van could fit. But these, imagine these palm trees that they're cutting these trees and they're falling in front. You're going to what's happening? Is this like a Palm Sunday moment? I'm in a vehicle. It's kind of surreal. (laughs) And so all these, we're driving over these branches. We get out, we get in a circle and we kind of have the celebratory moment of this well being at the school. And she says, I feel like my heart had been ripped out of my chest, you know, in this kind of yeah. Latin, just, just all emotional moment. We're just like, <laughs> but she says, but today my son is honored oh. and we're not going to experience this anymore. Thank you. Mm. So tears just flowing out of her face and, and she's, we're just having this moment and they're like, okay, someone pray. And they look at me and I'm like, <laughs> I can't pray and this big Abel who's one of the staff at the time in El Salvador I was like you pray he goes I can't pray we're all crying <laughs> so through our tears in that moment we pray I I tell you that story because that's the story that changed my life wow. that was my connection point to saying God if I could do anything if I can go anywhere I mean serve you I want to get out of the walls of the church mm-hmm. and be with people um, that you care deeply about and, 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 you know, God cares about all of us, but there's something about Jesus's ministry where he walked alongside the poor intently. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he moved his in direction towards the poor. And so I came back and I just said, I told my wife, my wife's name is Sarah Beth. I was like, I think this is what we got to do. I don't know how. And so that marked the moment. So from there I went on staff at living water, actually. Um, I said, I'll be your chief volunteer. And they said, well, why don't you come work here? And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> so I did that for a while. And then, um, what I, I came to, had to come to grips with is that, um, my head was in 26 countries around the world. We were doing great things, um, for the Lord and lots of people mobilized, but I didn't know my neighbor mm. and I had lost touch with the place that God had planted me. Mm. And so I, be, we began to pray. So we, we tried to do like block parties. We tried to like connect in and I found out about this guy who had started something in the neighborhood I grew up playing baseball in North Richmond. I was like, and I and I met with him. His name's Richard. It founded Attack Poverty. We were dreaming together, and and through the course of time, he it just came apparent that man, God, is God calling me home in some ways? Mm-hmm. Is God calling me to? to this work even in our backyard and so that's that's kind of where the journey to attack poverty came so i joined attack poverty in 2012 they had just gone through um, getting the 501c3 in december of 2011 so i came in on pretty early and it's been a pretty wild ride to say the least so I, i love that um the story that you shared about doing that well and how god just everything just change for you you know in that moment because you a lot of times you know we're praying and we're seeking god's will and and direction you know but sometimes it's just when we were just following him it's like you don't know when it it's going to happen but all of a sudden like you you experience something and it's like your eyes are open to something totally different you know and i also i don't know if any of you've had this experience where you feel you you have this sense that maybe you should be doing something and 
you know, I'm not a Bible guru, but I know in the Bible it says, you know, Paul struggled with it. It's the right thing to do, but I don't do yeah. it. It's the thing that I know I should do. I don't. And it, it, there's this tension sometimes. Right. And even in James, right. it says, if you know the right thing you ought to do, you should do it. Um, that's, that's really honoring to the Lord. It's, it, and so I kind of feel like sometimes we know there's a moment in our lives. We know that this is the, 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 the moment that, maybe God's calling us to, or that we were made for, or that something in us is coming alive. And some of us, because we're afraid, we, it's unknown. It feels like this, I'm going to walk on water moment and we go, yeah. I'm not, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for that. And some of us, we, we can't, we can't deny it. Um, but I would say that all of us can have those moments yeah. as big or small as they are. I mean, there's moments like that in all of our lives where we're sitting in a seat, looking at someone on the stage, wishing we could have that moment. Or if we're on the stage, either one, we're all in the same boat yeah. right. and we get the opportunity to just trust and follow God mm. in, in our own simple ways. So it could be in Latin America or it could be in our home. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, but I think being sensitive to those right. times and yes. seasons of our life and, and being faithful to act in it. Yeah. Uh, just to do the next right mm-hmm. thing. That's right. Just That's take good. The next right step. That's good. So now you became CEO in 20, just 20, in the last year, 20. Okay. So yep. where, when did you become CEO in COVID? When, I mean, I think it's because you kind of <laughs> took on the, that role of CEO, right? Right. When COVID hit. Right. And I, that's uh, right. I'm, I thought about that because I think some of the people listening, they're business leaders, they're, you know, uh, leading organizations. So, I mean, I just, how did you manage that mm-hmm. is a, is, you know, leading an organization in the midst of a pandemic that just happened? We may want to ask my, the board or our staff how I did, or my wife. I don't know. I um, probably the wife. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's where the real yeah, stuff happens, yeah. right? I mean, what a, like, what, a, what an unbelievable it, thing. Sarah, can we have you? Yeah, I mean, you know, right. like you're like, who wrote this script? You know. <laughs> well, and and that's the thing. I talked to a lot of leaders, and I can tell you, not a lot of people take on things. I mean, I've heard of people starting businesses in the middle of a pandemic. I've heard of people um, launching new ideas in the middle of a pandemic, and but this taking on this work in the middle of crisis pandemic since then we've had winter storm mm-hmm. i mean yeah. we're, we don't know what's going to happen coming in this new season with hurricanes and things yeah. like we have a, I mean, there's there seems to be something brewing all the time it was a pretty unique season wow. and so what i had a moment where i was um i was feeling as if god had abandoned me mm-hmm. And I was in my closet, <laughs> literally. I turned the light off and I was on the floor face down. I was just like, God, if there's ever a moment that you could speak to me, would you do it now? And it's just this, like, you know, the quietness of that moment. He just said, I'll never leave you. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can fail, just fail. It's fine. Or you can do great. It's fine. I'll never leave you. I love you. And I just, okay. And so instead of having this, wow, God, you kind of asked me to come into leadership in this moment. Maybe it's more like you were made for this. And maybe there's moments in all of our lives where instead of saying, why did you put me here? Why did you do this to me? Maybe it's God's design that he's Mm -hmm. saying, you know what? There's people been praying for something and I'm using you. 
in this moment. Yes. Um, you were made for this moment. We need you in this moment. Your family's falling apart. Step up. I need you for this moment. You're, you know, things are happening in our culture. We need you for this moment. And we'll talk more about the poor and how that all works. But What a distinction, though, between like God put me here mm-hmm. and God created me mm-hmm. for this purpose. Yeah. Like that is like a mind, a ninja mind, Holy Spirit shift. It is. You know, like for it your ha- yeah. for your brain because it's true. <laughs> yeah. And I had a conversation with a girlfriend of mine at the very beginning of the pandemic specifically about people in ministry because I mean it was challenging for everyone, mm-hmm. but I think for nonprofits and churches there was a very s- special challenge for them because it's so relational. Mm-hmm. It's so relational. And I had this moment where I was thinking like, like the little old church lady that I grew up watching, like in churches, like with their rosaries and praying, like they were praying for us. They were praying for our generation to step it up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And walk in the feet, like walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Like we were called and meant for like this time right now. Mm -hmm. There's not much that can fire you up if you don't have right. just the Holy Spirit or, or and a nudge that says you're made for this. Right. And because this, these are challenging times. Some of us get this because we work in churches and some of us get this because we work in nonprofits or we work in an industry where the more dependent on the market and all of it really shifted during the pandemic. And so we, we started holding on to what we had. And mm-hmm. uh, when you're in an environment that depends on, contributions Mm. and you're going the market shifting we're in Mm. pandemic but there's needs like never before and i feel like we're more relevant now today than we've ever been god you're gonna have to provide for this and so that was the unique moment for me is it's not just in the middle of this kind of cultural crisis and global pandemic because we went through harvey and all Mm -hmm. but that was focused the whole world came in into yeah. this part of the planet and said, yeah. Hey, how can we help you yeah. wow. now? It's, this is global. Yeah. It's like, what's and your strategic so planning? All of Lord? the resources you know are spread I mean? out all over. Yeah. So my, I had to rally and, and we had to, as a team come together, we had to see ourselves in this moment as called to serve. Mm. And, and that's what we did. And I think your closet moment when you said that God was kind of, he was just like, whether you fail or whether you succeed in this, yeah. I'm not going to leave you. I mean, you talk about pressure come off. You're like, right. yeah. okay, it's not like I'm going to come in here slacking at it or anything, right. but I'm going to do what you're calling me to do and trust you with the outcome. And that takes a whole lot of pressure in being able to hear what he wants you to do and do what he wants you to mm-hmm. do. And so I think that's a good that was a good thing he told you in the closet. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> that was a good closet I'm moment. I need to go to my closet today. I need closet time today later. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, what Jesus said, you go out and make disciples of all nations, you know, baptize them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything we commanded to you, and uh, and I will, I'm with you always. You know, he's that, you know, he could have left off that last part, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm with you. You that's know, I right. think that's such a powerful thing to know that I heard a pastor say one time, what would you do if you knew 100%? that God was with you, you know? So that's a, a, a powerful moment. I'd love some other time to talk about, you know, just even the things you learned, you know, during, you know, COVID, because I think that you have some incredible experiences um, in, in that role. But, you know, let's 
talk about poverty in general. You know, we're talking about, you know, we're going to talk a lot about attack poverty, but you know, as we were talking a minute ago, I think you people have a, have a mental image that comes to their mind when they think of poverty, you know, in self, you know, admittedly, I would say as soon as I hear the word poverty, the immediate thing would come to my mind is like maybe somebody standing at the corner, you know, holding up a sign, looking for food or money, but it's so much, so much, so much bigger than that. So what does poverty mean when, 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 you know, attack poverty, you also talk about you know, the difference between situational and generational poverty. Mm-hmm. So kind of explain that. What does poverty mean? And maybe the difference between those two situational and generational poverty. So um, we're jumping in the deep end with this question. This is awesome. <laughs> what does poverty mean? So if you're anything like me, most of the time, like you said, um, you grow up with this understanding that poverty is just about stuff. And so most of our perspective of poverty is around what we have or what we don't have, you know, mm-hmm. um, and our perspective of being poor is really interested, interesting because we relate whether we're poor or not in comparison to people in our context that we know. Right, right. And then, you know, you can, I, there was a speaker one time that said, his mom used to say, eat your food because children in China are starving. He had no understanding of that until he went to China, he saw starving children. And all of a sudden it became real. And so sometimes we think we understand poverty until we're in poverty. But here's what we say. And the statistics are crazy, but we start with poverty as brokenness. So there's a book. Um, so if it's okay, I'll just kind of share some other resources too, as we talk, mm-hmm. because yeah, I think people want to yeah. know kind of where are you getting this? There's a book called when helping hurts, Brian Fickert wrote that. Um, and it's kind of a lot for some people, but if you think that books a lot, there's a bigger book called walking with the poor. Um, so there's walking with the poor and then there's, um, when helping hurts and when helping hurts was really written to an individual who's wanting to do good, who wants to follow Jesus, who who wants to care for the poor, but I don't know how. What they did was they said, look, here's how to do, here's how to think about this. And in the context of that, what we're starting to understand is that poverty is mostly about brokenness. Mm-hmm. And it really, if there was a, a way to look if you were inside of a circle and at the top of the circle above you was God on the side of you were your your closest relationships and around you was the the world around you we would say that poverty exists in the places because there's a brokenness in our relationship with God there's a brokenness in how we see ourselves there's brokenness in how we relate to one another and the world around us and, and then people ask, well, what about the education system? What about the judicial system? What about the, you know, name it system, our economic system and our, you know, all of those? Well, here's what we say. Broken people build broken systems. Mm. And so that's what we learn from, from that. And then so if we want to see systems impacted, we need to see our, our own brokenness resolved. And then we can kind of begin to interact in these broken systems in a new way. So if we want to, we can't just drive in there and go, we're going to turn this education system upside down and we're not dealing with our own, how we view ourselves and our relationship with God, how we're relating to our neighbors and the world around us. So that's where we start. 
And we really believe there's brokenness. And so what we're pushing for as an organization, we're dealing with all the stuff, you know, the stats, the, you know, you talked about at the beginning and opening 250 mm-hmm. a day. What would you do with $2.50 mm-hmm. a day? Well, half the planet lives on that. Yeah. And we're not talking like 3 million. We're talking about 3 billion right, people right. or well, more. Three and a half billion people on the planet live on two and a half. Actually, 80% of the planet lives on $10 a day. Get that around your head. So when you when we're in America and we're thinking about the context of poverty, 43 million plus people live at or below the poverty line in America every day. That's below $20,000, $24,000 a year. Um, wow, in their household. But when you think about it in context of the planet, and then you're going to go, how do you deal with these big issues? Well, that's why we bring it back to the person. Mm-hmm. And we say, look... What we're pushing for is how do we see communities go from surviving to thriving? It's one person, one community at a time. We're pushing for shalom. Uh-huh. The wholeness and peace of God at rest in a place. Because we believe when God shows up, he makes all things new again. Mm-hmm. And so he can make us new again. He can make our relationships new again. He can help us see our community in a new way again. And all of a sudden the narrative that we've said, it'll never change or these relationships will never be made right. Or the way in which these things, these systems work will always be like this. And maybe we can say, well, maybe if God could enter into this picture and we can participate with him, then maybe we can see these systems, this way of being, how we operate ourselves be made new again and the right, wholeness Brandon's and peace taking of us to church today yeah yeah, yeah. So, here we are good. okay <laughs> <laughs> i love this it. is you such good. a heartbeat of this who we are so because good. we so good. we learned a term redemptive lift from a missionary in mexico and how redemptive lift it's like it's the idea if you have um dirt in the in the bottom let's say it's light enough all to float and it's in the bottom of a water bottle you put you water in the water bottle and all the dirt floats up so you may be trying to lift one of the pieces but everything floats to the surface so what we pour into one we can lift the whole and here's how we see that we start working in one house on one street and we see neighbors come out and start working in their yard and it's like redemptive lift there's this we see we see one family start to make some changes and, and and we see people empowered we see one voice heard at the city council and then all of a sudden other people start sharing their voice and redemptive lift starts happening we see one kid say i can you see another kid say i can mm-hmm. and all you get what i'm saying and mm-hmm. so there's Contagious. that yes and so what we find is okay look we're just gonna pour into one and we're gonna see the whole lift one person one community at a time and and our our desire is to see shalom you know, yeah. and if we could, if we could see that and celebrate that, we think, man, that would be a good thing. Yeah, I love that the shalom, the wholeness. It's just not just about a peace within, where it's just you know uh, the peace of God, peace yeah. with each other, and that wholeness in the world. And I think, um, you know, when you look at the story of God, you look at the meta narrative of the Bible. You know, the creation, mm-hmm. fall, uh, redemption, um, and a lot of people move from redemption to, you know, um, kind of I guess heaven. You know, but there's this. Um, restoration chapter, mm. you know, before that, that it's kind of like when you go to the mall, 
know the last time anybody's been to the mall, but you know, you go to the mall and, <laughs> I and just go to uh, Amazon. I went to uh, Penny's just the yeah. other day. Thank <laughs> you. Very What's much. it like I, in a brick and mortar? And I love going with the little map thing that they have. And it's like, mm. where am I? You know, and uh, and I'll walk around the corner. I'm like, where's the map? I don't know where I'm at again. But I was like, so you are here, right? Mm. You know, it's like knowing that story of God that we're that you are here. This is where you are in the that re- redemptive restoration mm-hmm. part of what God's doing in the world and being a part of that w- with Him. So when you guys go into to, to communities with people, I mean, what is the mindset of someone that, mm-hmm. especially generational poverty, you know, where it's something that they've grown up with, maybe their, their, their parents or their grandparents, you know, it's kind of like they've grown up with a mindset. I mean, how do you, what, it, what is their worldview? Mm-hmm. And then how do you help, kind of help move them, move them out of that? We say that poverty is a pretty complex, tangled web of mostly lies. And unfortunately, there's a lot of us that are are living day to day in the midst of things that maybe we did not create, but we're we're having to we're having to live with and live under. And so part of what you're at. So if I can back up situational poverty so and i know many people are listening they're like that's a great all this spiritual stuff but let's get practical so situational poverty is like um i lost my job or um something something happened there was an event in our life maybe there's a flood that i I lost our home or we couldn't something happened that was a catastrophic event that put us into um, a situation that that it's going to be hard to get out of so we might be in in poverty as a result of that. And that could be a lot of things. I just named a few that were kind of physical. There could be lots of other realities that right. that tend to happen. There could be things that happen systemically in our community that, that you know, we're building a new road. So um, we people now have to leave their homes because they need the land and the value that was paid for for that piece of property i can't now go buy a house in this market for and so now i gotta go where am i gonna live and so now there's this situational moment or event that could be catastrophic that might put us into the realm of poverty do you see one more than the other in fort bend county Mm. we see both and um part of it is and so the, again, it's really complex. Sure, so right, what I'm right. saying, there's not an easy not cookie way cutter. to, yeah. there's yeah. not cookie cutter, but it, there's, there's also, um, it's just not easy. It's very challenging to mm-hmm. address these issues. So we say you can't solve hard plans. I mean, you, you got to go after this stuff pretty heavy. People say one of the ways that we can help individuals um, take a, a step out of poverty, well, there's a lot of ways, but one of those that can be pretty critical um, is education, but also land ownership. Mm-hmm. So when you own something that, that increases in value or that's considered an asset, then you, you actually have a lot of power because you have an asset that's worth something. So not like a car. car's a liability. It actually reduces in value over time so i i can i need a car because it's practical in nature it gets me from point a to point but land if i own land appreciate it it grows in value it's a place it's mine um i have a part of the planet you know and so there's something really important about that so you own a home you own a piece of property you own um something like well a lot of times 
depending on the situation, you could lose that asset or um, you may not be able to get, take that step. And what we find in this area is housing is really, it is growing in expense. So there's not a lot of first step opportunities for people um, to have ownership. So what we find, find in a lot of our communities, it's generational homes that people have passed down from generation to generation. So that's where a lot of home ownership lies. And then half of the, typically about half of the um, neighborhoods where we serve, people are renting those homes. And so that's not how it's going to be hard because you might transition. The market may change. Your situation may change. And so there's a lot Mm of um, transition that is happening. So that's hard because there's yeah. not a lot of affordable first step options in our area. So that's what one thing that we find ourselves advocating for and working with other partners and how do we get, how do we build affordable opportunities for people to live and not just rent, but own. Um, right. um, now when we talk about generational, it, when you say, so situational poverty is one thing, but generational poverty is a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where we see the, a lot of the brokenness, brokenness in all of us. And so we say, whether you live on one side of the track, or the other, you, still, you have poverty. We're all dealing and being confronted with poverty in our life, the brokenness of it, it, it and how we see ourselves, our relationship with God, one another in the world around us is how we relate to one another. So get out of your car, get to know someone, build relationship. That's what we say. It's all stems from relationships, but generationally uh, we find that there's cycles that, we're caught in or trapped in that have lent themselves to survival. We've been serving quite a long time in in certain communities and we've had kids in our after-school program and, you know, unfortunately, so we have to, we have to really have some hard conversations, you know, where um, a grandma has taught a young kid how to steal. Hmm. And we can look at that and go, what a terrible grandmother. Or we can look at that and go see where they're coming from. Yeah. There's a survival tactic right. here that we're, we're passing down generationally that has that we need to break the cycles of generational poverty and ways of thinking so that we can have a new cycle. And a lot of times what we say is it takes a generation, which could be 15, 20 years to see that those cycles shifted, you know, and some of it is new leadership in a community. Um, some of it is individuals graduating from high school and staying in place instead of seeing this neighborhood as a place to leave, but it's a place to invest in, um, and commit to. So it's those kinds of things when we're talking about generational, when you grow up, I can't tell you the number of people and myself included can have this attitude of, I can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait to get out of here. And actually I had that moment. Growing up here, you're kind of like, there's more to the planet than (laughs) (laughs) this place. Um, But you know what? Um, There was a moment where I was reading this passage about this guy who had a bunch of demons in him and Jesus healed him in a graveyard. And the guy, once he was healed, he, he was in his right mind. The Bible says he was cl- had clothes on. I don't know where they got the clothes. I guess they got the clothes for him, but he was naked before. <laughs> I think that's the funny part of the story. <laughs> but, 
anyway, he wanted to get in the, Jesus was leaving. He wanted to get in the boat with Jesus and go where Jesus was going. And Jesus said, no, go home and tell them all the great things I've done for you. And as a result of that guy doing that, 10 cities were transformed. Yeah. Can you imagine? It would just been this guy's life. He would have gone with Jesus and been like, yay, I got this and we're good. But now 10 cities were transformed as a result of that guy going home. And so what we're finding is if we can keep people engaged in the communities they're growing up in instead of seeing this place to live. So I have a conversation with a girl and I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? She said, I want to be a vet. And I was like, awesome. We need a, we need a vet right here in the neighborhood. She goes, no, nah, we don't need a vet here. And I was like, Girlfriend, have you seen how many animals are running around here? Like, how many pets have you ever had? Where are you taking them to the vet? And she goes, well, I was like, and I mean, by the way, there's been there's roosters and there's all kinds of stuff. Like, you can be a vet for lots of kind of animals. And she's like, good point. You know, she's looking at me like, I never thought about that before. And so sometimes I say I we've been kind of processing this lately at attack poverty that history repeats itself because we lack vision for a preferred future. So it's, it's really easy for us to kind of look at the past and go, this is what happened. Look at our present to say, this is what is, but we got to look forward to say, this is what will or could be. And so we got to build a preferred future. So that's what we're doing when we think about generational, because sometimes we're locked in a cycle of thinking of the way we see, see ourselves our community our neighbors oh that's so and so and they're doing this and they're kind of that's who they are we you know we do that like oh they're that's them but what if there was a vision for a preferred future of something more than who you are today or for your community or what it is today that's how we're addressing that so we 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 get people to come on walks with us in the neighborhood and we share a vision of sidewalks, you know, what if people didn't have to get hit by a car anymore because people actually have died getting hit by cars in some of our neighborhoods and, mm. oh, we can have sidewalks. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? Or what if there was lighting? And so we host, um, we, we create spaces for people to have voice. We host town meetings. We mm. go door to door and we listen to people. We, instead of asking what's wrong, we ask, what do you love about your neighborhood and what could be even better? I like that because um, what you said about the girl who wants to be a vet and you want to keep her in that community because you want her to help build it back up. And um, I didn't come from the greatest neighborhood. Um, It was, you know, there was broken glass across my street and it was a railroad. Mm. And I remember thinking, why do all these people come and break their glass all i mean it was pretty when the sun was setting you know because it was kind (laughs) of glittery but i was like um we need to clean it up and i wanted to do something about it but i didn't you know i was young i didn't know what to do about it and i did get involved with some civic groups in the in the neighborhood and the community center but i remember feeling that same way when i was getting the scholarships because i want to get out of this place Mm -hmm. and the biggest fear that i had was because I didn't want to get stuck in that. I wanted to get out of that. But hearing you say, if you stay, you need that. What did you say? The history repeats itself without a lack of vision. And I think that that's the missing piece in a lot of these situations is there's people that come in or there's people that were like me that saw something maybe a little bit, they saw something that needed to be changed, but they didn't have that support system that say, 
what do you like about your neighborhood? Because I had a list of things I didn't like about my neighborhood. I didn't like the drive-by shootings. Mm -hmm. I didn't like um, the abandoned homes. But I didn't have someone come in and say, what do you like about it? And how can we come alongside you and help you fix this? And so how do you, y'all go on these walks? Do you take people like volunteers that want to come in and help? Or are you taking the people that live in these neighborhoods? Both. Both. So, um, you know, sometimes people drive through neighborhoods and it's like, lock your doors. Hello. You know, and what we found is um, there's not most parents want really great things for their children. Mm -hmm. Most people want a great place to live. Um, uh, Most people on the planet want a better life for their children. You know, like the things that we all think we Mm -hmm. all want. And and so what we're trying to do is bridge the gap of relationships and so yeah we hey come let's go on a walk let's put you on a team let's go door to door and let's ask these questions let's let's mine out and what we what we tend to find is oh there's a person of peace or there's someone who has a lot to say and then we'll we'll gather that And, and so through a listening process then we're able to build strategies for the community with the community um and so it but it it does take some outside and inside support and bridging those ga- those gaps and building those relationships absolutely right i think because if you don't have the the outside it can be kind of sometimes you don't know what to do and you're mm. in that stuff that's a good point um but if you have someone that can come in from the outside and say well what about this i think it helps and i think also a lot of outside organizations will come in and say we know it needs to be fixed here. Mm-hmm. We're gonna right. we're gonna start the soup kitchen. Yeah. We're gonna bring the free lunches. I to have the a park. lot of great stories about that. Yeah, and it doesn't work, a, right? That's because you're not changing yep. the they're community. With the you're you're not dealing with the brokenness. And I think if you look at the people, like y'all are looking at them with that, there's a wholeness. There's a breakdown somewhere. Let's get to the root issue. Then I think you can start seeing the change in East. What happen. we call that, and technically, is. ABCD asset based community development mm-hmm. is what we believe instead of looking at communities from de- a deficiency standpoint, we look at a community from capability or an asset based approach. That's- so oh, for, for the most part, everything that that is needed for this community to not just survive, but thrive is mm-hmm. in the community it just needs to be called out. Mm-hmm. And when that does not exist, bring in outside resources to then help build the capacity. Cause if everything is constantly coming from out, like you said, the soup kitchen, people come in and run the soup kitchen, people come in and do this. People come in. That's, we actually create deeper vulnerability mm-hmm. and, um, and that the community will, will go away over time. Right. It's not sustainable to do it like that. And I think sometimes too, it's like a pat on the back. I did my, mm, I did right. my volunteer job and that's the easy volunteer job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I could speak to that for a second, can I speak to that? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. Please. Um, so that's a, that's a really great thing. And actually for, for a long time, I think as an organization, um, we made we've made some of a mistake here in this area. Can I say that we made a mistake? Yeah. I, I have a lot. I have um, a lot to say. So we, this. you know, we we utilize about four thousand volunteers a year, um, org org wide, which is a lot of people. Um, we say we're staff led and volunteer run. Um, 
so we love volunteers. We actually need volunteers. Um, there's a lot of more money we would have to spend if we did not have volunteers mm-hmm. to do what we do. We also know that um, not everyone who can volunteer with us can come from the community only because a lot of, a lot of reasons, just like not everyone that we need for the church to survive can come from, you know, like right. everyone's volunteering right, right, right. all the time for lots mm-hmm. of reasons, but here's the mistake we made. I think we made the volunteer, the hero. Yes. Mm. And really the hero is, um, the young girl who's sitting in our after school program, you can Academy and then says, I, I can do it. Mm. The hero is the young man who, has now has vision for his life and calling his family to something different. Mm -hmm. The hero is the the single mom who goes back and gets her GED Mm -hmm. because she wants to show her kids Mm -hmm. that it's possible or there, or we have grandparents getting their GED right now. (laughs) I was like, what? It's awesome. That's the hero. Mm -hmm. We we're a guide as an organization, I feel like our, our volunteers are supporting role characters mm-hmm. in the story. And so we're, we're trying to, we're trying to learn how to shift that storytelling piece because I think in our mind, we, we were so grateful to have people come alongside of us that we were just, and I think a lot of nonprofits, a lot of us share that, that volunteer story mm-hmm. and we're so grateful, but that, that was our mistake. The other mistake we've made is I think we've, unfortunately relied in some ways very heavily on partnerships outside the community because Mm -hmm. it that those partnerships quite honestly were eager to do something good Mm -hmm. and ready to get going and we need those partnerships but i think we uplifted those partnerships and it set it told something to other potential partnerships within our communities Mm -hmm. and said, okay, those are better partners Mm because they got money, they got access, they got all the stuff. And you guys, you all show up and sort of thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and what we should have done is, is it's in the story we were telling, like, how do we come alongside you now? We're bringing some resource here. What should we do with it? Um, We need to listen better. So we're we're, we're, we we've learned that, and we're correcting that. I think. But what you're to what you're saying, I think we we pat ourselves on the back because that's the story we're told. Right. Um, That's the right thing to do. It's good. You're giving your life away for others, and you are, and you should do that. And you get your name on the marquee at the schools, right? Mm-hmm. Volunteer of the right. Yeah. Well, and, it, and it all feels really good. And, and, yeah. and guess what? You know what? I don't know. I, there's times when I'm like, I want to feel good about something I do. <laughs> but um, but also, we, we got to have pretty good perspective about what we're trying to accomplish and what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, do we want to make sure that every homeless person has socks? Yeah, or shoes? Absolutely. We need that. The shoes are important um, and, and, and we want to work a process to help that person get a job and find a stable place to live and, mm-hmm. and contribute in ways and, and contribute ways. And yeah, that are yeah, helpful and, and beneficial for the community around them. We want to address the brokenness. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I say that that's a good place too to sit with someone and go, wow, this is awesome. Let's dive deeper in relationship. What we find <laughs> 
is people will show up in that way and then we say hey why don't you hang out with the kid every right. week and they're like this yeah i don't know the, the uh, time right. and this and that well that's okay we get it everyone's in a place we're just trying to offer steps right, right. towards something um, that maybe God's calling you to, but our mission is we want to strengthen under-resourced communities through spiritual growth, education, revitalization, basic needs. Our mission is not to have the most volunteers on the planet mm-hmm. or to be the best volunteer organization out there. And so, but we need volunteers and we want to serve well. We want to quit volunteers so that we can meet the mission. Mm-hmm. that makes sense and so yeah. i think that's the dynamic shift we're having to continually keep our eye on so we don't mission drift and start making the volunteer the hero right. i think that says a lot about you as a leader and about your organization that uh how in touch you are with mm. with what's going on and with um uh, the people that you're perceptive mm. of how can we do things a little bit differently to really to really help accomplish what we want to accomplish because I think any leader, any organization, it's important to, to, to do that. You know, we do, we're doing the same thing we've always done for 20, you know, we're not changing, <laughs> yeah. you know, but to really do that. And I think that I love that idea of, of them being the, the hero of the story and not the grandparent. Right. One. Oh, I was yeah. just picturing I mean, them. as, as a, as a parent, I think what I have struggled with in teaching my children, what poverty looks like. Mm-hmm. I mean, let me just rewind for a second. Like when I was growing up, my mom and my dad both um, ran the St. Vincent de Paul Society for their church. And so they went out and they served uh, the poor in the community. That's all they did. And when my parents said, hey, we're going to Mexico for spring break, I was like, oh, my gosh, like we're going to have a party. They drove us down to Juarez and they showed us all of the houses across the border. And they said that is why we're doing what we're doing. Like, this is who we're supposed to be serving. I was like, I thought we were going to like the beach, (laughs) but I will never, ever, ever forget that moment. Now, if you look out the window, you can see we live in a very picture perfect community. And I have struggled personally, and I'm sure other people have struggled with this as well to successfully and I guess you don't really know if it's successful or not until my kids are older. So we'll just like pray hands. We'll prophesy over that. Um, but I want so deeply for my kids to understand what the community needs are in terms of poverty. Cause I think a lot of things begin there, like with the needs of the impoverished it's challenging in a community uh, that looks so perfect. Do you have any like just normal day to day, you know, ideas? Dude, that's <laughs> Fix a great, my that's problem, a, Brandon. Fix it. That, that's a great. I mean, it's a great. Yeah. A, a great. I mean, I just. Question. I just can't. I cannot anymore have my kids just go to the church and fill up bags anymore. I can't do it. They're not seeing anything. All they're seeing is socks. Yeah. No, I, I get it. I, I <laughs> Anything else to say about that? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I, I love it. I love it because what we're, um, we're, we're finding more and more people want to get there. We heard for a long time, let's be the hands of few Jesus. But I think people are now wanting to participate more fully mm-hmm. 
um, in this kind of dynamic of between saying God loves you and, and actually showing that God loves you, you know, Mm -hmm. this, this, this kind of tension we live in. So how do you do that? And how do you raise a family in that environment when we get this all the time, man, I just need to get my kids out there serving. Cause they are like, they think <laughs> that the world is about them. And I would say a couple things about that. So we get the luxury to get paid to be a part of an organization that does this every day. So my wife and I serve both in attack poverty. So she does volunteer coordination in one of our locations. So our kids are hearing this. And sometimes we wonder if they're actually, you you think there is like, um, wait, what are we doing now? You know? (laughs) Okay. Another deal, you know, I, I stopped and picked up someone off the, uh, just going to school with my daughter. And I saw this young man walk in to school and I was like, and we pick him up and said, Hey, you need a ride? And he's like, Yes, sir. And I was like, get in. <laughs> and my daughter's like, no, mortified. I'm thinking, why are you so worried about this? It? Like our life, you know? <laughs> but uh, it's just it didn't matter, I think, to the extent I think part of us is just we're kind of geared and bent for ourselves. Mm-hmm, but yeah. I think if we're open to like this in the beginning we talked about the small moments and the little I think that instead of programming the deal, what does it look like to live a life like this? And so, you know, we can, Hey, we can go and serve here. We can go and do that. But what does it look like to, instead of just giving the person a dollar, say, Hey, what's your name? Okay. We're going to pray. And then, Hey kids, let's, you know, we're, Hey, this is Mike and we're going to, Hey Mike, we're going to pray for you. And then just at home around the table, pray for Mike. You know, um, we saw him on the side of the road. If you see Mike again, say, Hey Mike, how you doing? You know, and then maybe God will put on your heart something different, but there's a relationship tied to this deal. It's not just about, um, repairing someone's home or cleaning up the street or the cemetery, which all of those are important. So those are step things. What we try to do is what are some steps people can take to be in proximity with others. That's a really important piece of this is I think what we do is we find ourselves not in proximity to relationships or, or, or the poor in our life. And we go, ah, how do we get in? How do we meet that need for that moment? And then we go about our business. What I would just say is if you really want to take this on, it's, it's a journey. It's a, it's like, there's going to be, it's hard. You might have someone in your home that you never thought you would have in your home. You might shake someone's hand that you never thought you would shake their hand. You might sit on a curb next to somebody and have a conversation and you don't even know what you're talking about anymore, but you're just there in that moment, just a step at a time. I mean, I, I think it, you know, if, if you've never served together as a family, find one place to go serve somewhere as a family. But what I would do is have a conversation about it and then go, okay, what, what does this look like as a family for us to do this again or together? Or what, what did you learn about this? And I guarantee you, you'll just step more and more and more. I, I just, um, there's no secret like combo that unlocks that really like a small group. No, you know. I mean, some people read a book and then they, you know, but to me it works for some people to have 
a mission trip once a year. It works for some people to have a small group. It's, Mm -hmm. it's helpful for some people to know know that this bag that they're stuffing is going to make an impact to someone and down the line. And then some people it's like, I want more. I want to go deeper. I want to step into this relationship here. And that to me is, is beautiful. That's what broke my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, A couple things I pick out of that. Number one, it being relational, you know, Mm -hmm. I think such a important, you know, Jesus was relational and the idea between the lifestyle or a program, you know, especially if you're in church, involved in church, I mean, everything's about a program, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not, you're trying to make everything a program, but you know, um, but that lifestyle, and mm-hmm. I think that's so important to, to help create a lifestyle. You know, we have a small group at our house, and we had 20 people over last night, 10 kids, 10 adults. That's why we're drinking lots of yeah, coffee today. Cops got called. I'm just kidding. Yeah. But, um, uh, you <laughs> know, but our two boys, you know, before they came over, you know, like, you know, I put up this whiteboard type thing, and, and uh, I said, what's our goal? <laughs> I said, we got people coming over. <laughs> what's what, our what, what's our, 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 our goal? And so um, I put our goal is to love you know, they're like, love. I said, what does it mean to love? And so I said, okay, we want to make people feel welcomed and loved. When you're, when these kids come over here, you want them to feel good and have a great time. I said, the way you make someone feel, the difference you can make. So it, it, I was just trying to get them, even though we're just having yeah. people over, to them see a bigger picture, a bigger story, you know. So hitting the kids that come over, that's not a good, you know, that doesn't fit the mission. <laughs> that doesn't accomplish the mission. You know, um, so uh, we actually... Sweet, do, sweeping the turkeys off yeah, the porch. You know, um, uh, so we actually revisited it again this morning, know. you know, like, hey, how, and, and again, that's something small. That. And I, yeah. There's a lot more to do than that, but I think just trying to invite yeah. them into that that story of... of you, know, and, you know, and the the other piece is, um, it's like, where do I find... I'd say pick a place, pick a, you know, going back to Sunshine, the volunteer thing, and oh, that didn't work for me. We're so quick to shift Mm. and so hey that didn't work for you just press in build a relationship go deep this is going to be hard work whatever you're Mm. doing um because it's with people and we're we got our all our got our stuff in there you know and it's like you said love everyone that comes in the door, but what if they hit you first? Yeah. Can I hit them? You know, as like, long as it's harder. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, and so there's always these circumstances that come up for us. So we go and serve, and they didn't have everything just right for me, and it took extra time, or we didn't have all the supplies, or they weren't organized, or I didn't know ahead of time. You know, those types of things. It's like, but what I tell churches and people too, just pick a place, find a part of your neighborhood, like. I have a good friend of mine. He, he's on our, on our team and on his, he, he picks the street hmm. where he lives and he's going to really give it up for his street, you know? And we got a call that someone was moving, getting evicted from their house and it happened to be on his street. Hmm. Oh, wow. And so it's like, dude, we're going to do whatever we can. And so we got a trailer and we're going to help them move and we're going to, you know, help find storage. And then like, let's, let's walk alongside you. Um, but it's amazing what pops up if we mm. give us give time. Yeah. And, and, and make a little bit of a longer term commitment than a short term run. So, so how do, you know, you talk about how the, the church is an essential instrument in, uh, in, in attacking poverty. Yes. And we're kind of talking a little bit about like, so how do, you know, what do you mean by that when you say that the church is essential instrument 
uh, in attacking poverty? That's a great question. So I can tell stories all day. So forgive me for that. But um, it, let me just start with a, a, a picture of, of what I mean or what we say is church is really the catalyst for community transformation is what I say, hmm. because that was, it's God's design. He left this work in the hands of the church to, um, for, to, to see God's kingdom come on earth like it is in heaven. Well, that's a big task. So we need the church. Um, so what we say is if there's a stairway, if you envision a stairway, there's a definite pathway out of poverty and basic needs and meeting people's basic needs and figuring that stuff out. And then there's, you know, medical education, there's financial, there's all these steps that help people take a path or have a pathway out of poverty. But what we say is the the kind of the baseline of this stair step is the gospel. It's the good news. It's the truth of who Christ is and what he's doing in the world and what he came to do in the world around us. But what we also say is the catalyst, what pushes, what's the momentum behind that is the church. And so our best partner when it works the best is the church. Mm-hmm. So we can come alongside the church and really for us, not just lead the church and come out with it's really to undergird the work of the church locally Mm -hmm. in a place. We believe that's the best design. So here's what I mean. In 10 years in Uganda, we're in this community, 30,000 people in a place called Rishari. And it's kind of in Western Uganda. We started with a church and this guy, his name's Gerald and he was, he's single, he's four foot nothing. And he's just a firehouse when he talks and you're like, wow, there's a lot in that little guy. And, um, he's on rented piece of property and he's a church on rented piece of property and they built this pole structure and that's where they have church. And so in this community, being on rented land is like a disgrace first of all. And then they're like pole structure. They've got no walls and this is the church. And, um, so he, he had committed to go to this rural area and support this church as their pastor. And so it was like, is he getting paid? I don't know, but he's like, I'm going to do this. Well, we came alongside them. They were able to obtain land. They moved the pole structure onto the land. Then we did this listening exercise. So he got elected people. He got all this stuff. Blah, 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 blah. We started listening, like, what are the needs of the community? So, but it started from the church mm-hmm. and we would do medical, uh, you know, outreach and we'd have a thousand people come through in a week and receive medicine and see a doctor. But it was all these people volunteering from the church. We got the local clinic from a few, a little bit away for send doctors. We got doctors from the main, they're all Ugandan. So we're just kind of like, okay, Ugandan people serving Ugandan people. We're just kind of help facilitating this making sure we get the next person in line. Okay. And we're praying, you know, and it was awesome, but it's all coming from the church. Well, we, as we started listening, as we started surveying, one of the elected leaders said, we want, can you bring your church over to our area? You have to walk a few kilometers to get to a place. So there's like another church. Um, and he wants the church and we're like, what do you mean? He goes, we want your gospel. And what does that mean? It's like, you really care about the community. Mm-hmm. You're going to the people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then all of a sudden the church, the hero here, and it's not the white people coming in. It's not the Americans coming in. It's not all it's, it's this pastor raising up a community of faith going, we care about you. 
And come to find out, this guy, Gerald, is going door to door. Wow. And he met with his family and the dad wouldn't come out. I was like, why not? He's like, he doesn't have any clothes and it's a Muslim family. Wow. So he went home to his little bitty apartment. He took all of his clothes out of his apartment, all of them, and took them to his family and said, here you go. And this family was overwhelmed. They came to church that next Sunday and all of them followed Jesus today. Mm. The wow. whole family. And it's changing the community. Today, 10 years later, that church physically and numerically has doubled in size. They have a school. Wow. We helped build four classrooms. They built three on their own. Teachers' quarters, latrines. They have a community garden. The government gave doubled their garden in size, gave land over, and, and the local government built a road for them. Wow. It's the church. So then he comes to me and goes, um, I'm feeling called to a new area. <laughs> And we're like, like what? He goes, I want to go serve the poor. And we're like, bro, that's what <laughs> you're doing. I thought that was what you were doing. He goes, there's deeper poverty. So he raised up the pastor locally, turns over the church. It grows even more. And he goes to a new area. We're supporting him. Wow. And now all of a sudden it's like he started the, the church is growing. We get in Bible. It's like, but that's what we mean when the church is central. And it's the same way here in the U S as it is internationally. But we really believe that the church is a catalyst for community transformation. So I have a question on the church and you're saying the church being the catalyst. What do you think? So describe to us like a healthy church that would be a good catalyst and the one that needs to step it up. Like what is it? What are the healthy ingredients that this church that you're like, boom, they're a catalyst to attack poverty. This one needs to come up some more. What, are, what do they have? What do those churches have? It's the difference. Well, hey, that's a great question. Because I'm like, it, I, so want, Brene, I want our church to be yeah, that church. Yeah, Brene Brown talks about um, empathy yeah. and, and pity. And a lot of times as people in nice churches and we're kind of in a place, we don't know it. We're not trying to. We're, we're not um, malicious in nature. We really have a heart. But if, we're, if we have pity on the poor and we're, we're, we're going to go help them, that's the position you don't want to be in. But if your church that says, hey, we want to come, we want to walk alongside you. Mm. We want to build relationship with you because we're called to this. This is what we want to see mm-hmm. for our community collectively together. So if there's a, is it, if it's positional, if it's paternalistic in nature, that's not the type of relationship that we would hope for. What we would hope for is, is let's, we're arm in arm walking together. Um, it's a great distinction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very clear. That's what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. He came and walked, walked among us. So, you know, how can, how can people or churches create an awareness of mm-hmm. poverty? You know, maybe people, well, you know, this seems like really good or, you know, but where, you know, I, I don't know if I'll make it to Uganda or, you know, they don't know kind of maybe where pockets are. Or, or they kind of know, but really don't know, you know? So, you know, I think you, you guys even have like a poverty son. You recommend like, I mean, talk a little bit about that. I mean, how can we create an awareness? Yeah. So, um, several ways. One way is poverty Sunday. So a lot of times churches will commit a Sunday and say, we have someone like me or someone from attack poverty come and talk about, um, what does poverty look like? What is, what do we really believe God's answer to, to this deal? And we talk about brokenness and some stats and then ways 
churches where people can be involved in the process. So that's poverty Sunday. Sometimes you raise money, but really it's kind of like, what's our next step as a community of faith. And then it's up to the church to decide that. Um, our job is just to kind of make you aware of this is what's happening in our area. Cause sometimes we don't see Mm -hmm. things because again, it's the proximity thing. We go the same route to the store. We go the same route to baseball. We go the same route to school and all the things and work. And we're, we're like bypassing certain realities and we don't even know it. So that that's one way we kind of bring awareness. Um, the, the other way I, I would say is that, just volunteer or if you've already connected to a group commit deep more deeply um so don't keep the arms linked get 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 a little dirty you know and 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 be okay with that get uncomfortable um you know sometimes you know we always talk about peter walking on water and then it's like he fell down and Jesus picked him up out of the water, out of the storm, and then put him back in the boat. And I often wonder, actually a friend of mine did a sermon on this one time, his first sermon. I thought, this is powerful. What are the other individuals in the boat thinking? And maybe they're thinking, I wish I got wet. You know, I wish I got, I stepped out of the boat too, you know? And some of us may be knowing, you know, I like maybe wishing, oh, I wish I could serve. I wish I want to do that. Just do it, you know. Yeah. Um, that's what I would say. Uh, so go to attackpoverty.org. You can. Uh, I, I'm sure that there's a lot of places to serve, there, and there is. There's a ton of places in our community locally to serve. I would just say, go for it. Make time. So we have to evaluate our schedules, evaluate our time, what we give our time to. That's where our heart is, where we give our treasure. That's where our heart is. So it may be some self-evaluation, but what can you do? I mean, that's what we do. We build awareness. Um, we do a, a run to attack poverty and we route that in the neighborhood in Richmond. So you kind of in proximity, you're seeing what's happening in the neighborhood. You're, you're, you're getting out of literally out of your car and running a route in a place that maybe you're not as familiar with. So you're a little bit more connected. Um, you'll be at our resource center there in Richmond. That's where we start and stop the the run, whether it's a 5k, 10k or kid K that's coming up June 19th, June 19th. So you can sign up and all of it, just attack poverty.org and you just click on whatever's there to sign up on. I'm not a detail guy, so sorry about that. But, um, but no, there's a banner at the online that says, you know, you can also go to attackpoverty.org slash run and that gets you there too. So, um, that's coming up on in, in June. We have, we, we've created something to help people become aware too. We call it a mission trip in your own backyard. It's like mission week is what we call it. So it's the week before the run where we've, we have kids camp and in, in the neighborhood, in all of our neighborhoods. And we have um, maybe some revitalization projects, a basketball tournament, stuff like that, just to get people in proximity. Yeah. It's an easy step. I can go serve it's at night. You don't have to yeah. like, you get to go home and sleep in your own bed, you know, <laughs> but still do a mission trip in your own backyard, you know? So uh, we're trying to create easy steps for people because we get it. You know, it's not, not everyone is meant to sell everything they own and move to East Asia, you know, <laughs> or, and not everyone is, can, um, give every day of the week, you know, but God's going to put on our heart something. Mm-hmm. And when he does, let's just do that. Yeah. Right. And um, I think too, with 
with poverty, you know, I think, and I've heard people talk about it, there being a scarcity issue with poverty. I'm, there's, mm. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to run out. And I yes. think even people who aren't dealing with a financial poverty, there's a scarcity in them too that says, if I give, if I serve, I'm not going to have enough time for X, Y, and Z. But like you said, if we just trust God, if I give, if I serve, I can trust God with my time. Mm. Because I think everybody has that scarcity of time of giving, right? We don't want to give it. Yeah. We serve a God of abundance. And mm. so he, he's, he, he's not going to, he's going to provide all of our needs mm. according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So if you give time to this, he's going to multiply that time. I mean, this is whatever your theology is. I can tell you story after story in our own life in the life of people mm. we serve and the life of people that we serve that now work in our organization that it's like, Someone once said, you guys are attacking poverty through generosity. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. You're being generous. And then that person is being generous. It's like an mm -hmm. overflow of well, generosity. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like when we are generous, God gives us more to be generous with. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're faithful with little, he'll give you much. Mm -hmm. And so just to me, it's faithfulness. It's generosity. It's, it's not feeling, I tell people all the time, don't, don't, don't feel like this is like someone's coming after you and judge you feel compelled mm. to do this. Um, if that's what you want, you know? So real quick, attack poverty, global organization, kind of tell us kind of where you're at right now, what communities you're in, even overseas, just kind of give people a kind of big picture attack poverty. Yeah. We say we're a global organization that adopts pockets of poverty and we launch what we call friends networks and um, locations. So Attack Poverty is an umbrella organization. How we show up is as friends in neighborhoods. So friends of North Richmond, you may have heard. Friends of North Rosenberg, friends of Sundown, friends of West Chase, friends of Northside, friends of wherever that community is locally. And we make a long-term commitment to a geographic area and we go deep. We say we empower people to attack poverty in their life and community through strengthening that community, through mm -hmm. spiritual growth, education, revitalization, basic needs. So we are, as far as East Asia, we're in India, in the state of Odisha, we're in Africa, in Uganda, and we're in the greater Houston area. And then we consult and have friendships all over the nation um, that, that we work with. Yeah. So attackpoverty.org. Uh, be sure to, to go to the website, check out uh, the, the ministry, the organization, lots of opportunities to, to be a part of, of what they're doing. Don't forget about the 10th annual run coming up on June 19th. Again, you can go to the website uh, and sign up for that. And Brandon, just want to say thank you again so much. It's been such thank a great you, time thank with you, you. Uh, uh, on the show and uh, just some, some great conversation. And hope everybody enjoyed this show. And y'all be sure to hit the subscribe button to get all the latest content. And y'all take care and God bless. Bye.